I'm going to read out of the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28. You can follow along on the screen or open up your Bibles there. And I want to talk to you this morning. This is a, a truth that I think is so important. And I have a theological title for you. It's deep. I mean, the title of this message is really, really something deep. So you got to don't get buried in it. But the message today is stuff comes back. Stuff comes back. It is because stuff comes back and it reenters our life and we don't want it, but it comes back. The Bible says now Samuel had died. He was the prophet and all of Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put out the mediums and the spiritualists of the land. It's interesting that even back in the day, they dealt with the demonic. He put them out, the spiritualists and the mediums of the land. And then the Philistines gathered together and they came and encamped around Shunem. And so Saul gathered all of Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams, by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servant, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And this servant said to him, in fact, there's a woman who is a medium at Endor. This is the danger of stuff coming back. The very thing Saul banished and removed as his first duty of becoming the king of Israel. Now it's finding its way reentering back into his life because he's not getting the answers that he's looking for. And I want to talk to you today about not letting stuff that God doesn't want you to keep coming back, come back to your life. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're trusting you and we know that we're going to be better because we've been in your presence. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're good looking and just sit down. Would you do it? Yes, you are good looking. Thank you, worship team. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Awesome. Awesome. And again, thank you so much for coming. After the service, go out there. We are partnering with Quail Lakes uh, Church after the uh, this week. This is our, our, our last year here in this facility. Uh, we're partnering with our friends at Quail. I'm really excited. We've always had a dream of doing a, a great uh, weekend at harvest time. I know for years we've done different outreaches, trunk or treats, different things churches do, but it's always been my desire and our desire as a ministry to have a Feast of Tabernacles weekend. And so next year, our new location, we're going to be able to let that become a reality. And what that is, is it's really what this time of year is all about. It's not about people dressing up uh, like Harry Potter and going to the Baptist church. It's not about that at all. It's about people realizing that this is the in gathering. This is harvest time. It's not made for the world to take. It's harvest time. The in gathering has come. It's the two feasts that we're going to celebrate in heaven. One of them is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Joy. The other is the Feast of Passover because we have the risen lamb and he, was, he dwells with us forever. So I'm looking forward to next year, that massive 1100 parking stalls, having the having the, the tilt-a-whirls, having the big, all the stuff for the community, having a day of compassion, and having nightly services for the Feast of Tabernacle and the Knights to Honor Israel. It's going to be a great thing. That's next year, though, so you got to stay around for it. But 
this Friday will be across the street. So anyway, I want to think about this today because I think you and I have this issue that comes to all of us. It's this danger of stuff coming back to our lives. Now, let me begin with this thought because Israel never lost a battle because the enemy was too strong. It was never because this Amalekite or this Philistine army was greater than Israel. It was never because this enemy was greater in the, in the cunning of the war or anything like that. Israel had never lost a battle because the armies were too big, too strong, or too enormous. They lost the battle because their own hearts trembled and they were backslidden and they didn't believe in the promises of God, what he already told them. It was never because this enemy was too too big or this one was too big and they couldn't go against the army. It was because they didn't believe God at his word. It's never because this enemy has come against us that we don't get the victory. It's because we don't believe God at his word. There's an interesting comparison because we find this all throughout the scripture. In the Old Testament in 1 Samuel, we see the armies of Israel getting ready to fight the Philistines. It's the entire army led by the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the Old Testament way of showing that the Shekinah glory, the presence of God was before Israel, that they had God with them. So in this first battle, we see this great army of Israel assembled to fight the Philistines. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. They've got the priests leading them out. The Bible says they gave such a shout that it shook the ground. It shook the heavens. But there was a problem. They were in a backslidden state and Israel lost the fight against the Philistines. You fast forward to chapter 14 of the same book and you see two men, Jonathan and his armor bearer, going against the same Philistine army. And what thousands of soldiers couldn't do, two men could do because it's never the strength of the enemy. It's always the strength of the believer that makes all the difference in the world. So it's never, if you're going to clap, let's get after it. It's never ever the enemy. Joey, he's too strong. It's demonic attack. Joey, it's this, it's that. It's, it's the depression. It's the addiction. It's never the strength of the enemy. It's always depends on the power of the believer, what they have on the inside. That's why Jesus said, greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. What two people destroyed an army that thousands could not budge. That means where you and I are at spiritually determines the victories and the battles that we win. Jesus tells us in the New Testament the same issue. He talked about the house being cleaned out and filled with the right stuff. And if that house, that means that person, because how many of you know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If that house is not cleaned out, swept out, and filled with the right stuff, the enemy will come back and he will repossess it, but he won't come alone. He'll bring seven times worse of his demonic friends. The Lord deals with this issue over over and over again in all of our lives, this danger of stuff coming back because we are called to be people that is filled with the right stuff. Now think about that this morning because he talks about this reentry issue and to guard ourselves and for us uh, and for us, excuse me, to be filled with the right things. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. What's important about that, we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to be filled with the right stuff. Friends, can I just tell you, the binding and the loosening is not the greatest weapon of a believer. 
It's not at all. The greatest weapon of a believer is being filled with the right stuff, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest weapon against the enemy. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it affects every part of your life. Listen to Jesus in John 14. It's on the screen. He tells us that if all this I have spoken while I was still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And everybody say all things. All things and remind you of everything I have said to you. How many of you have trouble remembering stuff? Some of you don't even remember to raise your hand. You have trouble, like I do, remembering stuff. But the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance what he said. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is a great teacher when you're filled with the right stuff. It affects every part of your life. But many people have compartmentalized the infilling of the Spirit, and they think it's attached to a gift of grace called tongues. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit is predicated on you speaking in the unknown tongue. There's not a hint of that in the New Testament when it talks about a spirit-filled life. If you're talking about the gift of grace, the gift of tongues out of Acts 2.38, it says, be saved and be baptized for the remission of sin. Then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the spirit-filled life is not you speaking in an unknown tongue. Friends, I've got to tell you, that's a gift of grace. Any believer who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, can receive that gift of grace just like you receive the gift of healing. The gift of salvation is the same receiving of the gift of the baptism, the gift of the, the wonderful gifts of work, the power or, or the works of God, the power gifts, the healing gifts, the discerning of spirits gifts. All those things are gifts of God's grace. But to live a spirit-filled life is not you speaking in an unknown tongue. A spirit-filled life gets you speaking correctly in English. Hello. It, and if you speak Spanish, orale. It gets you speaking right in Spanish. It keeps your life. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 to be spirit-filled with the Holy Spirit. Not a mention of tongues in that chapter, by the way. Why? Because tongues is not an evidence of you being spirit-filled. Tongues is a gift of God's grace. It's not an evidence of you speaking that you're filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says... To be filled with the Spirit is you're going to love your wives, husband. Oh, my goodness. Wives, you're going to be submissive to those husbands. Children are going to obey their parents. To be filled with the Spirit gets you talking right. It gets you living right. It gets you doing the things right. Because God starts to teach you all things. All things are taught unto you. Those gifts of God start to come because they're all gifts of grace. Being filled with the Spirit is not just an unknown tongue. That's a wrong teaching. Anybody who jumps on that teaching only has put the gospel now to a gospel of works. You're saved, but now you need to do this. You're saved, but now you got to do that. I want you to know when they say you're saved, but you need to show them yours and get out of there. There's no evidence of that. Now, if you go to Corinthians, if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, Acts 19, Acts chapter 10, all the tongues and the gifts of that grace are there for us all to experience, not just for a Pentecostal to experience it or a, or a non-denominational person to experience or this particular Baptist movement to experience, but all believers of every tribe, kindred, and every tongue. That means the Catholic can experience just like the Methodist can experience the infilling of the Holy 
Holy Spirit is for anyone who would dare to believe God at his word and to be filled with the right stuff. Being filled with the right stuff is how you become dangerous to the enemy. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what you'll do? Not only will you honor your spouse, not only will you, as a child, you'll honor your parents, but as an employer uh, or an employee, excuse me, now you're going to honor your unsaved boss because you're not working unto them. You're working unto God. That's the evidence of a spirit-filled life, that you're full of hope, faith, and optimism. Because spirit-filledness, friends, it should affect every part of your life, not one component of grace and think that's an evidence of being spirit-filled. I'm sorry. People that speak in tongues can be absolutely mean as a two-headed snake. That's not the evidence that I look at as somebody that lives a spirit-filled life. A spirit-filled life is somebody that I see who honors the Lord. They do the best they can do, even in the worst of times. They've got a good outlook. They've got a good disposition. They honor their family. They honor the house of God. They honor the people of God. They honor God's church. They're reverent of the church. They don't take the church for granted. They know that God died for that church, that church that was without spot and without wrinkle. We have to realize that it affects every part of our lives, and that's why being filled is the greatest greatest weapon against the enemy. It really is. When we guard ourselves, when the enemy tries to re-enter and bring mindsets and negativity and doubt and unbelief back into our life, you know, the gospel is a great book to read. And the New Testament gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called in theology, the synoptic gospels. The reason that they're called that because they're all synced up together to tell you the life and the ministry of Jesus and what happened when he was on this earth. But if you've ever read those Gospels, they have kind of different ways of explaining what happened. All of the stories are kind of together, but the different author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell you a different way in which Jesus did something. How many of you ever noticed that? How many of you ever read your Bible? Okay, I'm just seeing where we're at. How many... We're in church. Okay, just trying to get a playing field where we're at. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they share this amazing story about the triumphal entry. How many ever read that in your Bible? Where Jesus is on the donkey, he goes into Jerusalem, and as soon as he goes into Jerusalem, what does he do? He starts cleansing the temple, and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. His eyes become as blazing fire, twisted cord in his hand, and he's angry. He's flipping over the money tables. He screams at them. Get my house is a house of prayer. Why? Because sometimes when, when, you, when your righteous anger can be love's clearest voice, it's really true. And when that cause is righteous, love truly comes, and anger sometimes when the cause is righteous becomes the clearest voice. We're to be angry but not to sin. Jesus didn't sin in his anger. It was righteous anger, and it was the clearest voice at the time because he told them, this is God's house, and he flipped it over. How many of you remember reading that in the Scriptures? But the interesting thing is, Matthew tells us that, Mark tells us that, Luke tells us that, but the Gospel of John, it's why I tell new believers, read the Gospel of John. It's got an interesting take about the life and ministry of Jesus. 
And the Gospel of John shows a different angle of this. It takes that cleansing of the temple, not at the end of Jesus's ministry, but at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. It's found in John chapter two. And what John says happens, how many of you know all scripture is given by inspiration of God? There's not a misquote or a misword in this Bible. John tells us that not only did he cleanse it in the beginning, but he came back three years later and did the very same same thing. Now, why did Jesus do that? Because the title of my message, because stuff comes back. Because the enemy always tries to come back and bring that which is common back unto you. What a picture that we have today. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent the moving parts of the body. Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. We represent the hands of feet, the, the son of God. We represent him. We're called to be imitators of God. And if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and imitators of God, then what makes you think that the enemy won't try to bring that depression back on you? What makes you think the enemy won't try to bring that doubt, that unbelief, that poverty mentality, that old religious stinking thinking? What makes you think he won't try to bring offense on you and bitterness on you? What a picture. Give me this thought today and hold on to it. The day we get saved and delivered doesn't mean the battle is over. The enemy's not done with you. He's just reloading. He's not finished with you. He's reloading the gun and he's getting ready to come back to you again. And if that house is not clean, swept and filled with the right stuff, he's going to come back and it's going to be seven times worse. That's why your temple friends has to constantly be cleansed. That's Saul. He's in the New Old Testament. It's Jesus in the New Testament. The king of Israel is fighting this same issue that you and I are battling day to day. Stuff coming back. Here's the battle. It's the Philistines. And the batteries reveal to us more than any church service will ever do. When we're in the battle of life and we go through stuff, it reveals far more than a church service will ever reveal. You know, y'all look good worshiping this morning. I, I got to tell you, you looked amazing. Some of you, your hands were at full mass. I mean, you were just worshiping the Lord. Some of you were at half mass. And some of you were stand down. But you all looked amazing this morning with the worship. If we gauge the victory by your coming to the house of the Lord and worshiping, if that was the thermostat, y'all win hands down. But Jesus said the thermostat are loving your enemies. For how can you say you love God who you haven't seen and hate the man or the woman who you have seen? He said, the love of God is not in you. First John 4, verse 20. I wish that wasn't in the Bible, but my golly, it's still there. That's why the battle exposes us more than any church service does. And I can tell you from experience, when you do certain things, they change you. How many of you are married? Come in, let me see your hand. How many of you wish you were married? Let me see your hand. Okay. How many of you are sorry you're married? Don't raise your hand. But marriage will change you because marriage, if you fall in love, it will get you to change stuff. When you get married, you, you start changing stuff. It's important to note because I was on my own since I was 11 years old and when I was 11 years old, I, I had a horrible upbringing, so I was self, uh, you know, self-contained, and I started fending for myself, and 
So I was very, I wasn't a sloppy person. I was a hard worker, even as a young man, and I always did stuff to come up, not in the exact proper way or legal way many times, but, you know, I came up, and before I was 18, I had bought and paid for my own house. Now, I wasn't a messy bachelor by any means. I'm very meticulous, and so my house there in Sacramento and the north side of Sacramento was so nice. I mean, it wasn't a big home, but it was nice. I mean, it was beautiful. Men, you would appreciate my house. It was black and chrome. Everything in that house was black and chrome. There wasn't a picture offline. There wasn't a, 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 a blind. My, my blinds were black, literally. My blinds were black. I blacked them out. My house was so meticulous. But, you know, I had OCD issues. I had issues of cleanliness. I, I really wanted my Raider fans would have loved my house. God help you. You would have loved it. But I found myself one day because I had some friends over in my house. I had this nice rug in the middle of the house and it had those fringes on the end of the, of the, of the rug. And I found myself and, and I, the, the guys were there, they were kicking the rug and I, you know, it started to bunch up, you know, what happens. And I found myself not paying attention, just looking at the rug going, that needs fixed. That needs fixed. So I'd try to come over there and I'd try to fix it and, oh, yeah, 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 cool, homie, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 orale, yeah, yeah, I get it. And then I found myself, as soon as they left, because I was so not wanting my house to change, black and chrome, I found myself, I grabbed one of those old school jumbo combs, I didn't have no hair back then, but I had an old school afro comb, jumbo comb, and I found myself on my knees, and I'm taking the fringes, and I'm cleaning them as soon as they walked out of the door, and then there was a mirror on the side, and I saw myself kneeling down doing it, and I went, you got a problem. Now I got a problem getting up, oh, hold on. Fix it. My calves are huge. I don't ride on pogo sticks like some of y'all. But listen, some of you get that on the way home. But something happened to my black and my chrome house. Jennifer showed up. And one day I left for a trip. I gave my heart to the Lord. Jennifer and I started dating. And one day I left for a trip to Idaho. And when I came back, my black and chrome house was plum. It was plum. It had changed. My rug was gone. My stuff was gone. My black and chrome house had now been turned into doilies and different things. And I realized something. When you are in love, you are willing to take on the likes and the dislikes of the one you're in love with. And so she asked me, how does it look? And I grinned my teeth and I said, it looks good. Because when you're in love with somebody, help me preach it. When you're in love with somebody, you'll take on the likes and the dislikes of the one you're in love with. So if you're really in love with Jesus, you're going to start taking on what he likes and you're going to take on what he loves and you're going to get rid of what he hates and what he doesn't want you to mess with. You're going to take on the one in which you love. And that's why there will always be a Philistine that shows up on the scene, a fight. We're always going to have a fight that shows up. Let me keep my mic up and leave it up, please. We're always going to have a fight that shows up. Here's Saul. He's the king of Israel. And at the beginning, guess what happens? It's a Philistine. He's the new king, and he fights this battle of the Philistines. And guess what happens at the end? A Philistine shows up again. 
Here they are at the beginning of the rain and toward the end of it. That's why when we overcome things, some battles, if we're not careful, they'll always try to come back and they'll re-enter. David fought Goliath, and we know the magnificent story. And when David fought Goliath, he chopped his head off, and he killed that monster called Goliath. But all throughout David's reign, guess who came back to fight him? It was the Philistines. All throughout, they just kept on showing up. No matter how long you've been saved, there will always come the same thing. That same thing will come knocking off the door. That's why you have to understand, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Even though the weapon has been formed and fashioned doesn't mean it has to prosper. And the enemy knows what to go after you with. He knows what to get you with. He doesn't get me with things that he gets you with. He knows what to go after you with. He knows what to go after me with. I'm not telling you, but he knows. Some of you are like, tell us what he got. No, I'm not telling you, but he knows what to go after us with. He doesn't get me with certain things. For instance, he doesn't, you know, lips that touch wine never touch mine. He doesn't get me with alcohol. When I was 11 years old, I drank every day until I was 22 and I got saved. And when I got saved, I knew that a sipping saint I would not be because I was a I was a king and a priest unto God. And I read in that Old Testament and I read where kings and priests, they were forbidden to drink alcohol. And I said, I'm a king and I'm a priest unto God. And I don't want that devil. I've been drinking every day. I didn't want to be a sipping saint and then end up ruining my destiny because I knew the enemy would go after me with that because he knew if I would dabble in that lifestyle and to dabble with that, even under Jesus's name, I would turn and not go into the right direction. But he doesn't get me with drugs are certain things like nicotine, because I've never done drugs before. I've never smoked weed before, like some of y'all think it's legal. <laughs> never, I, I never, and the reason why I didn't, not because I wasn't around it. My daddy was so addicted, it repelled me. It was so horrifying in my neighborhood, it repelled me. So I never had done drugs, but I drank every day until I got saved. And I knew that if I would continue down that casual path, that it would destroy my destiny. And so I got to tell you, and I'm not saying this to put this on you, but I don't drink. And there's a reason why I don't, because I know the enemy will try to bring that. It's like the wino going into the liquor store to read the labels. He's not going in to read the labels, friends. He's going in because he wants the Mad Dog 2020. He wants some Thunderbird. You want some old English, some red, he, uh, you know what I'm saying? But it's why I don't put Jesus bumper stickers on my truck, because I know how I drive. You shouldn't be putting those Christian stickers on your car. I see how some of you drive. Don't be wearing those shirts either. Oasis shirts, we're going to have a criteria if you're going to wear them, I think. <laughs> But what am I telling you? The enemy knows what to go after us with. He knows. He knows what to go after. Saul banishes the witches, and then the Philistines attack. So what does he do? He goes back and tries to get them back because he doesn't hear from God like he wanted to hear from God. And he brings this thing right back into his life. The very thing he moved, removes, he goes back to. And here's the thing. When we remove them, we've got to keep the house clean, swept, and filled with the right stuff filled with the Holy Spirit, the right stuff, not an 
not a work of God or a gift of God, none of that, but filled continually with the right stuff because the Philistines will always be coming until you pass that test. You know, the Bible says something in that passage we read this morning about King Saul. It said he was afraid. And because when fear comes in, faith goes out the door and fear gripped his heart and he was terrified. And so he, the enemy used that fear and brought that thing right back into his life. There's all times, at all times, the enemy will try to bring things back into our life. Old mindsets, old ways of thinking, old relationships that are toxic that we should not be letting back in. Situations and circumstances of our finances when we know we need to be honoring God, we know we need to be given to the Lord, but we let the enemy come back in. And it's important to stay to the truth of God's word because the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. You turn it loose and it defends itself. You don't have to debate the word of God. You need to declare the word of God. And the word of God is alive. It's powerful. So when the enemy comes in, speak the word of God in faith and let the enemies flee. It's this need, though, in all of us when the battle comes. It's so easy to let stuff come back. And here's what the Lord allows. He lets these things keep coming until you pass the test. As we close our time this morning in Mark chapter 6, we read a story about the great provision of the five barley loaves and the two small fishes. How many of you read that in the Bible? There's 5,000 men. Now, in the Bible times, they didn't count women and children. So there's 5,000 men listening to Jesus all day, plus women and children. 15,000 plus people are absolutely there. And they're hungry. They have nowhere to go eat. They're miles away from the nearest subway. Nowhere to go. And Jesus says, we need to feed these people. And the disciples said, where can we feed them? There's nowhere to go. What can we do? And Jesus said, well, what do we have? And they brought the boy, we know the story, with the five barley loaves and the two small fishes. And what happens? Jesus did something amazing. He took it, he gave thanks, and then he put the people in order, 50s and 100s. And when he put them in order, the Bible says there were so much resources that there were basketfuls left over. So anybody that teaches that God just wants to give you just enough, they need to understand that story. If God wanted to give them enough, he would have gave them enough. But there's a resource there that is an abundant resource. There were basketfuls left over to start a Jewish delicatessen. I want you to think about that. Because if, that, if you saw that, if you were visual to that, how many of you know Jehovah Jireh is your provider? You'd be like, oh, it's done. Anytime I have a need, especially when it comes to food, God's going to make a way. That's Mark chapter 6. Do you know Mark chapter 8 shows up. The Bible says the days the multitudes were so great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the multitudes because there's none places to eat. They've been with me three days. Where they will grow faint. And his disciples said, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? OMG! He just did it two chapters before. This is not 10 years, friends. This is not 10 days. This is literally days later. And I want to say, duh, he just did it before. If he did it before, he'll do it again. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you, even when you're around Jesus, you have to be careful 
of what tries to come back. Doubt, unbelief, fear of failing again, fear of not trying again, fear of believing God at his word again, fear of stepping out in faith and making God's house a priority each and every Sunday and bringing the loss with you. The fear of, of, of trusting again and loving again. I have here a bottle of 409 detergent degreaser. Many of you don't know the story, but 409 is an interesting product. Not only is it a multi-surface cleaner, but 409 had an interesting inception. Two scientists out of Detroit tried to, to come up with the degreasing formula that would help the masses. And so as they attempted to try to make this formula, they kept failing, they kept failing, they kept failing. And after 408 failures, they came up with 409. And some people thought, well, 409 is probably the zip code. Or, no, it's not 209. It's 409. And it's not because it's a zip code of where they lived. It was 408 failures before they came up with the right formula. And so I tell you that today to say some of you have failed and you let the enemy bring this stuff back in. But how many of you know, sometimes you just got to get to 409. Sometimes you got to just go one more time. Sometimes you got to go for one more prayer. Sometimes you got to go for one more trust. Sometimes you got to just step out one more time in faith and trust again and love again. You see, sometimes we get to a hundred failures and we say, oh, I can't do it again. 200 failures. Oh my God, I'm devastated. Why not try again? How many times do you need to take communion before you get healed until it gets there, until you receive the healing of the Lord? How many times should we trust again? The Bible says with all your heart, don't lean into your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Are you tired of failure? Why don't you just try it one more time? Step out into the water. He's Jehovah Jireh. He can provide for you. You made too many mistakes. Did God forgive you? Absolutely not. To be spirit-filled is to live to God's pleasure, to trust him at his word, to be filled with the right stuff, to know that hope, faith, and optimism, you'll honor God, you'll honor each other, and God will give you the wonderful gifts that he has for you, the gifts of tongue, the gifts of power, the gifts of healing, the gifts of of salvation, all the wonderful miracles that he has for you, they're yours if you'll just step out and try it.